Last week we asked the question, who is saved? And we sat and we unpacked the gospel. We understood that only with a confession of our mouth and a belief in our heart can we be saved. And if we do that, that we are saved. And then we sat at the very end in the hard reality that unless you repent and believe, there is no salvation. No matter how good enough, no matter how devout in other religions, no matter how nice or friendly or compassionate or caring we are, it does not result in salvation. Salvation is only by faith alone through, or wait, by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. All right, and so that's where we sat. And then this morning, in this continuing of a series on questions that need answers, we're going to move to the next logical step. If I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, now the question is, can I lose my salvation? And this is not a real fun topic to necessarily sit in. It's not the you know exciting rah-rah, this is a lot of fun, now go and live. But can I lose my salvation is a question we need answered desperately. And I fear that we have treated it like we treat when little kids ask us about Santa Claus. We give flippant, small answers that don't really give a real understanding. See, Mom, how can Santa deliver all the presents to everybody on our street, all simultaneously, and then everybody in the world? It just happens. He's magical. How can Santa get on the backs of, or not on the backs, but ride the sleigh with these deer, and it somehow flies? It's magical. Or maybe you had a house without a chimney, and that caused some real worries, right? How is he going to get in? Do we leave the door always open for anybody to come in? Or like, can he come in windows? That's weird. I hope he doesn't come in my window. All of these things, right? Like, But our parents just say, it just happens. And then we ask the question, can I lose my salvation? Once saved, always saved. And then we walk away, not really wanting to have to have the discussion terrified of what this really means and what it really looks like. And so this morning, we get to have that discussion. And I think it is pertinent to our situation because you are watching right now, either in person or on social media, friends that were devout in high school with you in youth group that are now doing anything but following Christ. And so we have this question, can I lose my salvation? To work through that, I want us to start looking at the person of Judas. You know Judas, right? He's one of the twelve. He's one of Jesus' main buddies. He has left everything to follow Jesus. He has seen the deaf here, the possessed set free. He's seen the blind given sight. Judas has been in a front row seat for the Sermon on the Mount. He has watched Jesus calm storms and then walk on waves. He even picked up a basket of leftovers after Jesus fed the 5,000, and he walked it back and he ate of it. This is what he has experienced. And yet, it is Judas who at the end of his life is rejecting Jesus, is falling away from Jesus, is selling Jesus. So how can this man who has given everything not even make it three years, how am I supposed to make it for the next 60? Can I lose my salvation? See, Jesus speaks pretty harshly of Judas, saying it would have been better for him not to have been born. 
So we're going to keep Judas in mind as we then flip to Hebrews chapter 6. There's a bunch of things I highly encourage you. Write these down because you're probably going to want to unpack them. Davis is going to throw them up on the screen for us. Hebrews chapter 6, 6 verses 4 through 6 says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and you would think and go, it's impossible for them to fall. But he says then, and then have fallen away. It's impossible for them to be restored again. Let's skip to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That once saved, always saved is... Maybe going, Jordan, I'm going to need you to clear that up for me because now I'm reading verses or maybe I'm stumbling upon this in my devotional life and I'm going, wait a second, can I lose this? And then we think of Judas and we go, how can this man who has given everything then decide that it was more worth it for him to get a few pieces of silver than to be with his Savior? How can we handle this? See, Judas had had experiences with Jesus. He had seen Jesus do miraculous things. I imagine, if I'm putting it in our context, he had had those goosebump moments where a certain worship song was really hitting at the moment, where some teaching was really like, hmm, that's good stuff right there. He had had those moments where I even believe that God probably worked through him as an instrument to do good things. And yet, at the end of his life, we see him betraying our Jesus. While he had had experiences with Jesus, I don't believe he had a true faith in Jesus. A true, saving, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, faith. See, in John chapter 6, Jesus kind of clues us in on this. He's teaching to a crowd, and he knows this crowd is about to leave. But he says this in verse 64, There are some of you who do not believe. And then John parenthetically states, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it would be that would betray him. So even this guy in his midst, jumping down, so this crowd leaves in verse 66, Verse 68, Peter's like, we're not going anywhere. You have the words of eternal life. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? See, all along, Jesus has known who Judas is, and yet he has allowed him to be a part, to experience and to see and to be close. And then this really gets me. Think back to the upper room. Passover night, right? Jesus is about to be betrayed, the night that he was to be betrayed. And remember this. Jesus says, one of you in this room will betray me. And all the disciples looked at Judas, and they were like, buddy, we've already found you out. You need to get out of here, right? No. Nobody knew it was Judas. They individually all go to Jesus, and they say, is it I, Lord, that is going to betray you? Is it me? That probably gives me a lot of uh, some real hope um, because I struggle with doubts and is it going to be me that struggles to continue to follow you? But G- Judas was so good at playing the game of following Jesus that even those in the inner circle had no clue that he was playing the game. 
he was pretending and, and experiencing but not believing. In John 12, 6, we see that Judas would even every once in a while when funds went low for him on himself, he would just take a few coins out of the money bag so that he could take care of himself. See, Judas is not this picture of a guy who is fully believing. And see, we're shocked when we hear the heroes of our faith falling, right? And, and if you think about it, we don't go, oh, yeah, I'm surprised by Judas. He seems so great. But think about his parents, his friends. This guy has left everything, and then they find out that he chose to end it this way. When we see people around us who we've looked up to, maybe they were youth interns when we were growing up. Maybe they were pastors or worship leaders. Maybe they were speakers. They, maybe they had lived lives that seemed so much holier than mine, and then they are going away from Jesus. How do we reconcile that? How do we handle that? So and so what I want us to understand is that salvation is not a matter of simply raising hands and doing good things. It's a matter of bowing our hearts. And for so long, we have just put all of the emphasis on, did you go down the aisle? Did you raise your hand? And we've never really asked, are you confessing that Jesus is Lord? Laying down your life to follow him. We've just said, oh, well, if they raise their hand, they must be good. And if that's how we're going to call it, then yeah, I guess a lot of people have lost salvation, but I don't think they ever really had salvation. Next week, we're going to talk about how do I know I'm saved, so we can answer that question, okay? Because I don't want you to be worried about that. But salvation is not a matter of just raising hands. It's a matter of bowing our hearts. So I, I want to use... Uh, this parable, Matthew 13, um, it's got a bunch of parables in it. And Asher taught this parable when we were in Mississippi. Um, and it's really stuck with me because it's the parable of the sower. You probably know of the parable of the sower. But in my understanding of salvation, I've always thought, really, there's just two types of soil among people. You're either the, the path where you're trampled upon or snatched up by the birds, or people are the good soil. They are growing and multiplying and fruitful 30, 60, 100 times. But that rocky and thorny soil really speak into our question of, can I lose my salvation? See, the parable of the sower talks about the rocky soil. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 there. It says, other seed fell among the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They immediately sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Jesus explains that in verse 20. He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, and yet has no root in himself, endures for a while, but when tribulation and persecution come, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, there's this immediate growth. There's this shooting up. There's this... What seems to be salvation, there's an experience with God that then changes how we live, but it has no root to it. We're simply behavior modifying here so that we can try to live up to this because we just want to be like this. But it says there is no root, so it endures for a while and then tribulation or persecution come. What does that mean? Tough times or big questions or real issues. Heartache, sickness, job loss, breakups. When following Jesus gets hard, the faith of the rocky soil folds. 
<coughs> and see, we are often duped by them. But they had so much good. There was so much life, it seemed like. How can they just wither away? How can they just fall down? How can there not be an enduring for a lifetime? It says that if they endure for a while, and I don't know how to define that. Is that three weeks? Probably, at least. Is that three years? I don't know. I don't see why not. But we can't judge how long somebody can endure for a while, and yet, but if there is no roots, it's going to wither and die. Then you have the thorny soil, verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorny soil, and the thorns grew up and choked them. He explains 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, just the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. See, it grows. It has decent roots, but it's choked out by the cares of the world. It's a, a person that has two masters is what I see. They're trying to serve God and the world. Well, we've seen this. The guy who wants to follow Jesus and date however he wants to, the girl who wants to uh, follow God and do what God is calling her to do, but yet is not willing to give up career. We want to follow Jesus, but we want to make our own friends and live however we want with them. We, we want Jesus and what we want. And see, you cannot be in the thorny soil. Here's what's terrifying to me. I think we live in a climate... In Texas, at College Station, in the Christian bubble, that is conducive to growth. And it doesn't cause a lot of scorching. So I think people that live in thorny and rocky soil can do so for a lot longer in our environment because culture and Christ are seemingly interconnected. And so we don't see where Christ and culture are opposed because it seems like in our daily life it is a good thing to be a Christian. It is praised. It is uh, saluted. It is encouraged. And so we are allowing, I believe, people to stay in rocky soil and never really have those tribulations come until further down the line. And then it's, we struggle even more because it seems like they've been following for so long. But really, they were just in... A conducive climate. I've jumped off from our original question, but I had to say those things, and here's where we're going back. Can I lose my salvation? Hopefully I've set up for you some thoughts on maybe how we've seen experiences and counted them as salvation. But John Piper, I think, says it very uh, succinctly. He says, the born again, meaning those that are saved, those are renewed, those that are regenerated, those that are changed by God... The born again cannot be unborn again. So to answer most briefly and for you to walk away and to tell your mom what we talked about today, can you lose your salvation? No. Those who are truly saved, those of us who have confessed and believed, we cannot lose our salvation. And really, if you want to think of it this way, what we didn't earn, we cannot forfeit. I didn't earn it or deserve it. I can't lose it. So, 
I love what Paul says, Philippians 1, 6, how confident he is. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. If you want to look and sit on this in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and he says, uh, you guys, all you religious people are not believing, you're not understanding what I'm saying. But he says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And remember, I'm the only way to get eternal life. And he says this, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We don't understand how emphatic Jesus is saying that, but in verse 28, the Greek literally reads, they shall not, I repeat, they shall not ever perish in the slightest. No one, nothing can snatch them away. Romans 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? And I'm going to jump down to 38. It says, I'm sure of this. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I lose my salvation? The Bible gives us a resounding, I believe, no. That if we are saved, we are saved. I want to illustrate it this way. Hopefully all this kind of craziness can make sense as I illustrate it. And mind you, there are brilliant people, people I read and I want to learn from, that land on all sorts of places, but I think I'm being as faithful to the Word of God as I possibly can as I teach you this. But here's how I want to illustrate it. As a parent, I'm beginning to learn that streets are scary. Okay, we live in a neighborhood, there's cars coming through the streets, our houses are very close together, there's cars on the street, there's a lot of danger in the streets. Okay, so you have fast cars, you have those candy-filled vans, right, that just drive by, like, um, you have stray dogs that you don't know what, you know, that foam at their mouth is, like, cute, but I guess, you know, probably not good for me. Um, you don't know what is out there. You have crazy people walking around. There's this kid that rides a razor, razor scooter all the time around. You just don't ever know what's going to happen. Uh, the, the street is scary. And so as a parent, I want to protect Cooper from the street, right? And from the dangers that are encouraged or that are out there in the street. <clears throat> Carrying this into how God handles assurance of salvation, because you saw that coming, um, some believe that what God does is he creates this fence around us. When he adopts us, he brings us to his home. He puts this huge fence that we can never climb out of, that we cannot get out of this fence. There's a lot of very smart, very brilliant people that would fall into this category. But then the, the opposers of this would say, well, that limits our freedom. Well, shouldn't we be able to? That's not fair almost that God would ever do that. They would then say, the ones who deeply oppose that would then say, God allows us the freedom of getting out there and kind of strongest will survive, right? Like Darwinist almost in that sense. And he gives us his word and he says, hey, don't fall away. You know, remember, stay with me. You want to stay with this, complete it to the end. Stay faithful to the end, continue in your faith. And so he's given us these words, but he's going to say, hey, if you want to go to the street, that van looks good to you. Go hop in. Like he allows that. But I think there's a middle ground. And the middle ground is this. There is a dangerous street out there. 
And it's very close. And most of the time, I play close to the house, sitting in where God has allowed me. But there are times that I'm tempted to mosey out there. Maybe that dog needs a pet. Maybe that car, seeing, or maybe the ball goes rolling out there, right? And so I, I, I'm tempted to run into the street. And you know, probably growing up, you were probably limited on how far down your street you could go, right? You can only go to this house. You've got to stay on our street. You can't leave our neighborhood. You can't go across this intersection, whatever it is. And we get to this point where, okay, here it is. But I think that God acts very much like a parent. The street is out there and it's dangerous. But God uses every means of his grace to keep us out of the street. I think of it yesterday. I was with Cooper and I opened the front door. We were going to get his haircut. He was running out the door. Haircut, haircut, haircut. We were excited. Okay. I turn around to shut the door and I was saying something to Carlin and I look and he is on the sidewalk in front of our house running down now towards the neighbor's house. So I shut the door and begin to run, right? Because the street is scary. I run down, and he sees me and thinks now we're playing chase, so he continues to run. (laughs) And he begins to veer off into the street. Not only am I running, I'm now yelling. Cooper, Cooper, no. Cooper, do not get in the street. Cooper, stop. Cooper, be still. He doesn't realize the seriousness of it. Luckily, he makes a veer, and he turns to uh, one of our neighbor's house, starts running up to their front door and knocking on it. I would love to tell you that as I get to him, two houses down, out of breath, I would love to say that immediately he turns and just runs to me and says, Daddy, I love you. Thank you for saving me. (laughs) He still thinks we're playing chase a little bit, right? But then eventually, as I grab him up and say, Stop knocking on Charlie's door, okay? Like, we don't, this is going to be awkward now. (laughs) But I pick him up knowing the danger that he could have just been in and exercising every bit of grace that I had and love for him that I had. And I pick him up and I hold him. And I tell him, hey, I love you, buddy, but you cannot get in the street. And then, pretty sure this happened. I don't think it's just for the story effect. He just leans in and hugs me. And is like, all right, I'm safe with you. I think he can tell the nervousness I had and the fear I had because streets are scary. But I truly believe, maybe I gave that away, whoops, um, that God uses every means of his grace to not allow us to get into the street. Sometimes he disciplines us, sometimes he, he corners us in, sometimes he calls out to us, sometimes reverse does it, sometimes a, and a circumstance does it, but he calls us back to him Because nobody's going to snatch you from my arms. I don't care what it's going to take. I don't care who comes in the house. I don't care what's going on in the street. I'm jumping in front of a car to stop it from hurting you. I think that's what our God does for us and says, no one's snatching you. 